It's never been more important to tell stories that are enriched by the perspectives of wider audiences. But what does it actually take to bring that mission to the whole process alongside such epic creative mediums like virtual reality and beyond? We'll find out today. We've got a really incredible guest who's going to break it all down. And we're also joined by Pallavi, who has a lot of expertise in this area, who will help us break down the concepts that we will be discussing so welcome back again to another episode of Culture in the Craft. It's a really special episode. We are going to learn so much from a really special guest. We're quite excited to hear more from them, then also hear about the project that they're working on. So I won't give too much away for now, but just to remind you that Culture in the Craft is a podcast where we talk about animation to games creation xr to vr and vfx plus everything between and beyond we welcome you if you want to chat more or hear more from us it's just on the socials hashtag culture x craft i am here with palavi as well from culture in the craft hey palavi it's excellent to be back here and now for our special guest drum roll It is Michaela Tanaski-Holland. Hi, thank you so much for having me today. I'm so excited to be able to sit and chat and learn more and the conversation that we're about to have to be able to share a little bit about me, my work and what I know. Absolutely, we are bursting to dive in and see what we can share with our listeners because they're going to gain so much from what you do. For those who may not be familiar with the work that you have done so far and a little bit of background, do you want to just introduce yourself? Sure. So um, I would say like in my LinkedIn, I call myself an XR creative strategist and impact producer. The idea of what that means really is XR is this industry called extended reality. And I work with really amazing technologies like virtual reality, augmented reality, artificial intelligence, volumetric video capture, photogrammetry, all this kind of like suite of tools. And I don't think of myself as a creative technologist, but what I understand is how these tools can be used to tell stories. And my specialty is in nonfiction storytelling and social impact-based storytelling. And so I, I get to tell stories about um, you know, women, I get to tell stories about LGBTQ plus communities, I get to tell stories about people who are going through really hard issues of today, such as nuclear weapons threat, or gun violence, or um, help people understand people who aren't like them, like people who have cerebral palsy. And so being able to use this technology as a method, or as a tool, and being able to really showcase the ability that this technology has to bring people into a more intimate space, to bring people into more interactive space is uh, something I do. And because this is such an emerging field, a lot of people are incredible creators and a lot of people are incredible storytellers, but they don't always know how to, quote unquote, distribute their piece. I prefer the word mobilize their piece, especially when we're talking about a piece of social impact. So that's where my impact producer role comes in. And that's where my creative strategist role comes in, because it's not just about getting headsets to people. It's not just about getting the technology to people. It's about building a whole experience around the actual story. So whether they're about to get into headset um, or whether they're about to open up an augmented reality app on their phone, what is the story that you're trying to tell them that ushers them into that action and then ushers them out of that action? And so we'll get a little bit more into some of my methodology and how I work with creators, how I work with companies, and also how I work on my own projects. 
wow, as you said, we're going to have to break down some of those bits because what you're doing is so fascinating. There's a very common conversation that happens around people creating using emerging technology. And there is a discussion about how incredible these tools are and allow us to take a deeper dive into how storytelling is conveyed and empathy um, and beyond that, which is great. And then there's also the story around being able to craft a story and be able to tell things in a certain way in order to deliver a message, to delight people, whichever it is in between that spectrum. But what you do is bringing those two things together is extremely unique, is so powerful. And I really want our listeners to be aware of that and really underscore what you're saying, because this is a very future forward way of thinking about telling stories. It's not just one and done. It's not just here's something that's spectacular or theatrical or delivering something that's really important. It's doing a lot of things all in one go. And I think that's critical in the time that we live in, but also a very powerful way of doing a particular job. So if we rewind back, let's look at the beginning, just where your origin led towards this direction, just so listeners can get a sense of how you came to be in this particular space. I am a woman and I identify as mixed race. So from the very beginning of when I was growing up, I realized that there was always something powerful about mixing things together and like playing with the idea of making things hybrid and and changing the way I look at things so I can see them from a different perspective. And one of the ways I really started to explore that um, in high school was through dance and performance. And so really thinking about not just the stage craft of putting up dance on stage, but what story am I trying to tell through the movement of the dancers? What story am I trying to tell through the props, through the costumes? And then how do I not just put my dancers on the stage and my audience as a passive audience. But I started experimenting with how I brought my dancers into the audience and how I started to play with the audience being an active member of the of the performance and have them be active participants. And so I think this is really where I started in my storytelling experience. I always loved writing and I always loved poetry and I always loved um, being able to communicate with people. I didn't realize that I had a real passion for staging and creating and crafting until I found dance and performance. And so, like I said, I'm a mixed race woman. And so um, my family did not support me pursuing dance outside of high school. And so they really asked, they really forced me actually into going to college. And so when I had to sit and look at the degree options, I said, well, I think I'll like journalism. Like, I think I'll like telling stories about people through photography, through film, and through the written word. And very soon after I got to school, I really felt the pull of dance um, still in my heart. And so I decided to pursue dance while I was in university. And one of the auditions I went to ended up offering me a, a cruise line contract. And at that point, I really had to make a decision. It was like my my life as a dancer or my life as a college student. And I decided to choose my life as a dancer. And I left school for nine months and I performed and danced on Disney Cruise Line. And so having that caliber of Disney experience, I was fully immersed in it. It wasn't just like being in a theme park. I lived it. I ate it. I slept it because we're living on a ship. We're living on a floating palace and we're having guests come on and off that ship every day and you get to actually create relationships with those guests you get to create relationships with your crew members you're not just in this big washing machine system like you usually have in like a theme park environment 
So I was really able to almost, like I tell people, get an experiential degree when I was on cruise line because I wasn't just performing. I was also watching and learning. So I was, I watched and learned the way that there was a certain itinerary that happened every day, the way that um, we moved people throughout the space from dinner to show to activities to port adventures. I saw there was guest services. I saw there was hotel services, dining services. And for Disney, all of these things live under the umbrella of experience. The experience never stops and ends with just people going to a show. They go to a show and the experience continues even after they leave the show because they're fully immersed still in that Disney environment. And so really got to learn more about this level of guest service and recognizing that people are willing to go with you on the story if they feel like they're taking taken care of, right? It's It goes a step beyond just vacation. It goes a step beyond just them paying money. It goes a step beyond the fact that there is this idea that they get to go see like a character they really enjoy. It's that there's a story, but that they feel safe exploring the story because Disney has a very good reputation around safety and security. And the way that we talked to guests made guests feel very safe. They made guests feel very well communicated with. And so taking this ideology around what I learned on Disney Cruise Line and then going back to college and going back into journalism and studying journalism and starting to realize how exploitive journalism can be, realizing that the history of journalism really sits in this history of anthropology where people would go in and study cultures and study people and then extract resources, whether they were extracting physical resources or intangible resources. To me, people's stories, cultural stories have power they have currency. And so a lot of traditional journalism was westernized cultures going into quote unquote exotic cultures, taking those stories and then displaying them on stages or in newspapers that only their culture could enjoy or only in languages their culture could enjoy. And so it, it suddenly went from me being in a very community guest first mindset to going into a journalism mindset, which is very much about the story of the reporter first, what is the story the reporter can get, less about the compassion and empathy towards the people they're telling the story about. For example, when photographers from the United States or the UK go into these like famine places and they take photo photographs of children that are starving, but they don't spend any money to feed those children, even just for that day that they take those photographs of children and they make money off those children because that's their job. That's very extractive. The other thing that that does is it sets up people to look at those photos of children and say, oh, that's what that whole country is like, versus seeing that there's a larger story around why that country is the way it is, or why those people are suffering the way they're suffering. And it's very framed, and it's very lens oriented. And often that lens is white, male and colonized. And so I started to resist journalism a little bit and resist traditional journalism techniques and traditional journalism ethics. And I started exploring how we could immerse somebody in a story, how we could help somebody interact with a story, how we could tell a story that has more than just one perspective, which is the reporter's perspective. In that, I started to find different ideas of using multimedia. So I started playing with audio journalism and video journalism and the written word and mixing them together together just like I had been doing when I was younger. And I started to realize that that was great, but could we do something like a Disney cruise line? Could we do something like a Disneyland where people are immersed 
in the story in an open world environment, not just in this mixed media environment. And that's where I started to stumble upon virtual reality and augmented reality. And what those technologies do is it allows me sometimes in certain cases to give people agency who are the audience members. It allows me to be able to take care of those people because I'm not just reaching a blind audience of X amount of people through a newspaper article, this is an audience that is coming into a space or this is an audience that is coming in to get, um, especially if you're in like an, a, an installation environment or a museum environment, these people are coming into the space and they get to be taken care of by people, right? They get to get an onboarding, they get to get an offboarding, they get this aftercare idea, which is a lot more intimate and a lot more integrated into the world of like a Disney or a Disney cruise line versus it being like this idea of mass media. So a lot of what I started to realize is what's really important to me is quality over quantity. And what's really important to me is the human experience, not just me getting a story out and getting a byline. And so realizing that deep collaboration with communities to tell people stories or to tell a person's story, I see myself less of like a figure, quote unquote, like a reporter would, right? And I see myself more of a bridge. I get to bridge the gap between these people and their story and the technology we can use for those stories and then the audience we can reach for those stories. And sometimes the audience is different. It's not always the most privileged to be able to watch something in VR, or be able to watch something in AR. And that's also a really important part of what I see VR and AR doing is you can have a very specific mobilization process of who you want to see your piece because this isn't just a physical building that people have to travel to. The technology itself can also travel to people. So that's a little bit of where I started and how I got here and how um, this journey has led me to where I am today, doing what I do and why certain things are really important to me. Fantastic. And I have to say congratulations, because along this journey, you've been given an Emmy Award, you've been given Webby Awards, and most recently, um, one of the top 50 original XR creators or XR influencers. Tell us a bit about that. <laughs> yes. So a year ago, I was given a very, a very amazing honorific, which is top 100 original XR creators to watch, which was very lovely to be recognized by the industry and by the community in that way. Once I graduated from college and I, you know, started really pursuing what this VR AR thing could be, I was really just exploring my possibilities, right? I was doing everything I could to still pay my bills. So I was like dancing for Disney and I was working on commercial film sets in Los Angeles, California. And then I was just researching how you make VR, how you make AR. And the easiest uh, way to make VR at the time, besides learning a computer engine, was to, you know, get a 360 camera, which allows you to shoot in 360 format, where you can look all around you. And so I got a 360 camera, and I started filming, and I started editing my own 360 content. And I also started like cold calling and cold knocking on VR companies' doors seeing if they wanted an intern just so I could get like IR, like real life experience working in a VR environment with people working in VR. And one of those doors I knocked on was a professor at USC and he was lovely. His name is Robert Hernandez. He's still to this day, probably one of the best advocates for up and coming XR journalists or journalists or reporters or storytellers who really want to break the mold 
and explore um, emerging technology. And so he recommended me to his colleagues and one of his colleagues worked at Time Magazine. And so she ended up hiring me within a week of him recommending me. So suddenly I was living in LA in a certain ideology with a certain lifestyle. And then suddenly I lived in New York within two weeks. And the, the day I moved to New York was uh, actually our election day in the U.S. on 2016. And so that was really changed my perspective about things because that evening I went and I filmed a protest in 360 video against the election of Trump. And less than a few months later, I was working with GoPro to document the inauguration of Trump. And then a few months later, I was at Kennedy Airport where there was a protest against Trump because of the travel ban and like just being at the cusp of sort of these like historical events and being able to document them in 360 so that people could see all sides, right? They could see the police, they could see the protesters, they could see the environment. And then being able to work with Mia at Time Magazine very closely to also service the other entities within that media conglomerate. So we service Sports Illustrated, we service People Magazine, we service Coastal Magazine, Sunset Magazine. I was able to touch a lot of amazing IPs like Star Wars and Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. And I was able to uh, collaborate and work on some really incredible projects like the first ever bottom to top climb of Mount Everest using 360 video technology. And that project also had a integration of a magazine cover for Sports Illustrated that was augmented reality. And so the augmented reality cover was animated and then it went into a 360 video trailer for the 360 video documentary. It was all very like multi-digital media. For that, we were we were very honored to win a Emmy Award for Digital Innovation and a, and a couple of Webby Awards as well. So I mean, it, you know, you have to work hard for the things you do, but also a lot of it is just somehow being in the right place at the right time. Like I definitely feel like I feel very lucky that I got to be a part of that era at Time Magazine and at these at this big media conglomerate because within a year and a half of me being there, that media company got sold and then those properties got sold off to their own owners. And so now there is no more like Time Inc. People Magazine and Sports Illustrated Magazine and Time Magazine. They're not all owned by the same people anymore. So I was there at a very specific time where I got to do and work on a lot of incredible things. And I'm very humbled that I was able to do that. But one of the issues I had was I wasn't telling stories about people who looked like me. or I wasn't telling stories about people who I really cared about, right? I was telling a lot of stories about white people. I was telling a lot of stories about honoring U.S. culture and history, even if it was steeped in colonialism or even if it was steeped in war and violence. And so after I decided to close my time there, one of the promises I made to myself was that if I was going to continue in this work, I was going to tell stories about people who really mattered to me and people who I was really passionate about bringing this type of technology to and sharing their stories using that type of technology. Thanks for explaining that. That's inspiring to hear someone go through that whole journey of what I would imagine is, you know, very aspirational. It's what most people hope for, that they can do the best job that they can and see the rewards of their success received by others and then recognize that it wasn't true to your values. So that's a really brave decision. So we have a few terms, XR, MR, AR, VR, and then 360. Can we try and clarify what that means? So I'll go through each of them. So virtual reality is where you wear the headset and you're fully immersed in the scene. So that's 
if you're wearing, for example, the Oculus Quest and you're playing Beat Saber or something like that, if it's augmented reality, that's uh, where there is like a layer on top of the real world. So that's, for example, you can use your phone. That might be filters that are used or even Pokemon Go. And then we've got mixed reality, which is kind of like a blend of the two. So it's, you wear um, specific headsets and you can see the real world and you can see the virtual world and they're able to interact with each other. So, for example, in one of the promo videos for one of the headsets, someone had was positioning boxes in a warehouse to kind of create a, a space for an event and they were able to push the boxes and they bounced off the wall because they knew that the wall was there. So it interacts in that way. And then we've got 360 video, which is, <laughs> I was going to say it's 360 and it's video, but it's, um, you have a 360 camera and you're able to look around. So if you see 360 videos on YouTube, you can, um, you can scroll left, right, up and down and have a look around. But the thing with 360 video is that you can't get any closer to the object. So if, Michaela's created a 360 film, you wouldn't be able to get any closer to the subject of the film or any of the, the scenic elements. But if you are in virtual reality wearing the headset and it's a virtual reality for a six degree of freedom virtual reality experience, that you're able to walk towards and past things in the experience. And then extended reality is like the umbrella term that covers all of these things. Woo! That was amazing, Pallavi. I didn't realise that about 360, that it was distinctively different in terms of the VR experience. So thanks very much for explaining that. And then tying into Michaela, what you have been working on more recently, the reimagined anthology series, which is very exciting. You've just taken it to the Venice Immersive Festival as well. Do you want to speak a bit about why you chose that medium and tell us about the Nyssa story? Sure. A lot of what I've done has really been in the nonfiction social impact world. And so, you know, even if I was telling a story of social impact, it was always based on like real life people. So, for example, my project with Tao, which I did um, in collaboration with Meta VR for Good and Samantha Quick, um, that project was a experience that was inspired by uh, the Yellow Boat of Hope organization, which is an organization that helps children who have to walk long distances or swim to get to school. So they build boats for the children who swim. They build home, um, they build schools closer to children who have to walk long distances. And they also just kind of supply overall like access to education in these um, more remote islands in the Philippines. And so when we worked on that project, while it wasn't a documentary per se, or it wasn't nonfiction per se, I was always inspired by the children and I was inspired by their innovation and their hope and their gumption. And, you know, most of these children don't recognize or understand that they live in severe poverty. To them, they just live and exist. And so um, we did this project um, that was a idea of this young girl and her little brother, and they decided to uh, build a bunch of interesting inventions to try to help them get to school without getting their books read and without getting their homework wet. And so that was really the focus of that project. And you could call it a more fictionalized project for sure. But again, it was very much inspired by real life people and real life events. When uh, Julie Cavalier, who is my co-creator of Reimagined, approached me, Julie comes from a narrative background. So Julie comes from a, a background where they really just create story based on 
um, you know, something that inspires them, but not necessarily real life people. So Julie had read this story called A Tale of the Boy Who Went Forth to Learn Fear, which is a very uh, unknown or lesser known Brothers Grimm fairy tale, and instantly felt inspired to do something that didn't just showcase a boy who went forth and learned fear, but actually like a young girl. And she instantly thought about the social conditioning of women and girls and how you're not just told to be afraid of crossing the street, but you're also told to be afraid of a lot of other things as a young woman and as a young girl. And so she sort of did a deep dive into that. And when she approached me, she had this idea for a script and she had this idea for a narrative piece. We worked together, um, me mainly as her producer, to try and find funding for the uh, concept. And we quickly came up with the idea to do it in Oculus Quill. Oculus Quill is a 3D painting platform which allows uh, a traditional animator or a traditional artist to go in and hand paint, hand draw, hand animate um, these beautiful scenes, these beautiful characters, um, which is a little bit different than, you know, working through a computer as your um, mechanism. It's a, it's a little more similar to traditional painting or like drawing on an iPad versus um, using a computer engine to craft or mold a computer-generated animation or a computer-generated character. It has a very uh, hand-drawn aesthetic, but it's also, in full transparency, it's a lot cheaper to do because you're not spending all this money on expensive computer engine equipment or you're not spending all this money to pay people to do these like very intensive developer kind of engineering technology-esque workarounds and working with them in a computer-based engine or game engine like a Unity or Unreal, you're really just working in this like painting environment. And so we're, you're really paying for our artists and you're paying for animators, which is still expensive, but it, it, it makes the team a lot smaller and it makes the teams um, what they have to do a lot more streamlined. Um, so we recognized that there was some um, really cool aesthetic qualities about Oculus Quill. One of the things that Julie really started to recognize was her story wasn't just about a little girl. It was going to be about a little witch. And another thing she started to pull from was this idea of using expressionism and impressionism painting styles and how the world of the witches would feel a lot more like a Van Gogh painting. And then the outside world or the dark migration um, would start to feel more like a deconstructed sort of shape-esque experience. And so we really started playing with the textures of the world in that way. And very quickly, we realized that this idea of reimagining these fairy tales, right, reimagining Brothers Grimm to be more female focused, or reimagining another culture's fairy tales or folklores or mythologies, whether to have a more feminine inclusive focus, or whether just to reimagine them for a new type of technology like VR or a new type of storytelling technique like Quill, there was something there. And people were really interested in us, not just doing Nisa, which is Julie's project, but also interested in what if we did a series? Like, what if we did this idea of not just one, but maybe two, but maybe three pieces that could each be totally different in art styles, totally different in storytelling, but have the same throughput of reimagination? And so that's where the reimagined series came from. And Meta, Quill's, uh, Meta's team, um, the ones that manage Quill, Ryan and Gore, were very, very generous and worked with us to really refine our pitch. And we got it greenlit by Meta. So the series is currently being funded by Meta. Nisa, as uh, Laura mentioned, uh, just 
had its world premiere at Venice Film Festival, and then Volume 2 is slated to have some sort of premiere next year, and then Volume 3 the year after. So we're very excited. We get to delve into lesser-known lesser known cultures, not because we don't want them to be lesser known, but because in modern day society, they're lesser known. So we're going to dive into Filipino, Tagalog mythology, we're going to dive into Nigerian mythology and the Black diaspora, um, and really be able to showcase these characters and these um, ideologies around what it is to tell a story in a voice and in a um, painter-esque quality in different ways and in VR, which is always really fun amazing and I know Pallavi as you have actually worked as an artist in this medium I had a look at the um the trailer for Nisa and it's just so beautiful and I could really see like the the quill animation and how you had got I really did feel like now I've heard you say about the Van Gogh style and that was exactly what I saw and it was it was very starry starry night and it was really really beautiful and I could see that like what you've mentioned now I could see it exactly um I have a question about the trilogy so on the for volume one you're the producer and for volume two you're the director so I I just want to know about your working relationship and how how that came about so how do you find going from one one role to the other and how do you find you choose those roles based on on the project yeah it's a great question I mean it kind of goes back to the first thing I mentioned about myself where I'm mixed race so I always feel like I like to have this kind of like differentiation around myself where I'm not just one singular label or one single category and I like to constantly ebb back and forth and so um, some people call that multi-hyphenate. I like to say like I'm like the rain. I don't always want to stay in the clouds with the creatives but I don't always want to be boots on the ground with like the producers. So the word like creative producer or the word like director slash producer really resonates with me because especially in my working collaboration with Julie, she and I have both played both sides of the coins. She comes from a producer background in traditional film. I come from a producer background in virtual reality. We both have had our own creative ways of expressing ourselves, Julie mainly with uh, acting and with comedy and me mainly with dance and performance. And so we're both creative and we're both know we're capable of directing our own stories and showcasing our own stories, but we've also produced other people's stories. And so I think it's been a very back and forth process where Although Julie was the director of episode one and I was the producer of episode one, I was always giving her thoughts around some of her directorial struggles and some of her directorial questions in VR. And sometimes she would step in and do some of the producerial aspects of volume one. And we're finding the same in volume two as well, where we're both kind of playing together as director-producer role, but not being strict with what one does or the other. Of course, the director in their volume will always have last and final creative say and is the one mainly leading the creative and the producer is the one mainly leading the sort of like production. But there is just like a uh, give and take with that. And in volume three, we're bringing in a guest director and then Julie and I are really producing that episode together. But the reality is, is that guest director is a first time VR director. So they're also looking to us with just as much openness to creatively collaborate. And I think that was the big thing when we pitched this to Meta is that it's a female led and female produced series. So all of our directors are female. All of our producers are female. We're really working with a team where we have a balance of both female identifying and male identifying as much as possible. And I think that that makes this process really special and it makes it really unique as well. Wow. I'm really excited to see if we can 
Michaela, if we can delve into a bit more about the process, because Pallavi, that's a really great point and that's smart. You're both flexing into where you find you have your strengths and leaning into each other when you need to and then stepping back. It's a nice dynamic and it's, as you describe, it's not so rigid. And I imagine that that helps with the innovation and that helps with the exploration and allowing people to have that fluidity as the creative process is very rarely so formulaic. But before we do that, I didn't realise we'd get so much juicy conversation. And Michaela, would it be okay to just get into your mind about how you came to work through this process, like a procedural breakdown of the overview of something like NISA? Sure, no problem. That's it for Culture in the Craft. Thank you very much for joining us today. And thanks to Michaela and Pallavi for making it such an interesting discussion. If you want to find out more, we will share everything in the show notes. We've got Michaela's handles, we've got Pallavi's handles, and then there is the hashtag for us, Culture X Craft. We look forward to you listening to us next time. Bye.